News Network. Part of the climate agenda, along racial lines no less, is the claim that we're running out of fresh water. You do know it literally falls from the sky, right? Or is that too much truth for the baiters? Well, you're in the home of the truth. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And your host is Dan Newman. You know what? Just when you think you've got everything figured out, something or someone throws a wrench into the works and just messes everything up. You wouldn't believe if you could walk into our studios at TNN Live and see the show prep, the equipment preparation, getting ready for this show every day. You wouldn't believe. You know that old story when you look at a duck swimming in the water, you never see what's below the water. That's where all the work is happening. (laughs) It's kind of like I'm the duck sitting on top of the water here and there are so many moving parts that you just don't see. But you know what? We enjoy doing all of this and putting it together for you every day. And I thank you for participating in TNN Live. Many of you have been here since day one, four years ago. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And we welcome your input, your thoughts, your uh, things you don't like about the show or me or whatever. Feel free at any time. You can send me an email, dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. And you can say anything. I don't care. You will not offend me. I've got a really thick skin. But I wouldn't be asking you to reach out to us unless if we need to change something, improve things, and you have suggestions, let us know. Heck, we'll never get better. You'll never get better unless you know when you're doing something wrong or someone suggests a way to make things better. Maybe you're doing them good right now. But if you can get better, obviously you want to know and you'll puzzle through how to get there. And if it's at all possible, you'll get there. That's the way we feel here. Lots of people behind the scenes here at TNN Live 2. We have a small staff, but we have people outside of this facility that are involved in this show every day. And we want to thank all of them as well. We have a plate full. It just seems like when you don't think it can get any busier, you don't think it can get any more controversial, something else pops up. And we have some of those things today. But let me tell you the big kahuna. Steve Baker broke last night part one of this massive debacle he's been telling us about, this tell-all. He broke it last night. Glenn Beck had it on his network, an interview with Steve Live, and they broke part one. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear that for yourself. I'd fire it off right now, but I want to let everybody that's part of this show settle in, get that final cup of coffee at the office, or maybe get the kids off to school if you've got a, a kid that's got a little bit later schedule in the morning. And then get back and settle in because it is a barn burner. But meanwhile, (laughs) 
not the original by Chicago. That one is by Leonid and Friends. If you've not heard of them, check them out. Leonid, just uh, put that in YouTube search, L-E-O-N-I-D, Leonid and Friends. It's a Russian guy who has a band, and they specialize in making Chicago songs sound just like Chicago. In some cases, I think Leonid and Friends have a better presentation of some of those Chicago songs. All that being said, what I was going to tell you, the title of the song, Questions 67 and 68. Where the heck did that come from? And what does it mean? <laughs> it's a great song. The instrumental track is really outstanding if you're a musician. And, of course, Chicago fans love Chicago music. It was a great time back in the 70s, wasn't it? Well, if you weren't here at the opening, I promised you we were going to keep up with Steve Baker, our own investigative journalist, who comes here every Tuesday. He's with us in the second hour, and he is up to his eyeballs in putting everything together from the January 6th, where he was part of that day, and his videos that he took that day have been all over newscast around the globe. He finds himself now in the bullseye of the FBI and the Department of Justice. They've been threatening to bring him in and charge him with federal violations. Nothing's happened yet. But he has been, like nobody I've ever seen before, investigating to dig in and find out exactly what really happened. Who were the bad players? And there were many bad players on that day, January 6, 2021. There were some people that did some bad things. Some people got hurt, and several people died, as a matter of fact. But everything that was painted for us during the media coverage that day and afterward, it does not correlate with the truth. So Steve has been back and forth to Washington, D.C. from North Carolina. He was given special access to all of those hours of footage that were taken by cameras all over the Capitol grounds that day. And it's all been put in a computer system, and about six journalists were given access to go go through those videos and pick things out and put it all together to come up with what really happened, who was involved, what they did or what they didn't do. And then, this is the big one, correlate the video evidence with testimony of those that were part of the process of protecting the Capitol and those within the Capitol that day, testifying in federal trials and the results of 
many of those trials have put Americans behind bars for alleged crimes that they were convicted of. And listen to this. Facts now show without question much of what was testified to by those people, many of who worked for you and me in our federal government, they perjured themselves with concrete evidence that they lied under oath and some of those lies have resulted in people being in jail right now. So when he was here on Tuesday, he told us he was right on the cusp of being able to release this. And overnight, I got this from Steve, and it was aired last night on the Blaze Network with Glenn Beck. Here is our own Steve Baker with Glenn Beck. Listen to this report. Steve Baker has been on the uh, program a few times, uh, and uh, he is a um, an investigative reporter that has been doing some have been doing some work, uh, and it's now exposed on theblaze.com. He has been working on the January sixth puzzle for a while now, and his efforts have been frustrated. Uh, over and over again by the politics in Washington when he's just trying to find the truth. The story that has just been released this morning, did Pelosi's security chief perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial, has wide, wide consequences. Welcome, Steve. How are you? Glenn, I am living proof that a man can live on coffee alone. (laughs) You started this a year ago today. It was one year ago yesterday, yesterday, October 3rd, during the Oath Keepers trial, was the first scent that there was something wrong. Something happened in the trial first thing that morning when the prosecuting, the lead prosecuting attorney, Jeff, Jeffrey Nessler, assistant U.S. attorney, approached the lectern and the bench and said to Judge Ameda, we have a problem. He said, we have a, a rogue attorney that is about to release some FBI 302s. These are interviews of one of the characters in this story that we released this morning. And that if he does that, this is going. these are sealed documents that are not publicly available, and we can't have that. And Judge Maida did something that I had never seen before. And I think, I don't know that any of the media uh, in the media room where I was sitting had ever seen this before. He actually directed the media pool to put out a tweet and threaten this particular attorney and let him know that if he released that those sealed documents, he would have him held in contempt of court. And right then I went, what are in those documents? So what was in those documents? They're still sealed, but I will tell you that the documents themselves were the actual FBI interviews of one of these Capitol Police officers and the primary problem that the government has with those documents is that the testimony was changed, his testimony about his interaction with the Oath Keepers, which in the first testimony he revealed to be a positive interaction, that the Oath Keepers lined up between him and the more agitated protesters and assisted him in keeping them off of him mm-hmm. and helping him de-escalate. That was in May of 21, that interview. In August of 21, 
this officer was brought back in and the testimony was changed into an aggravated, contentious um, event with the Oath Keepers and as well as the creation of a second event to explain the first FBI interview that never happened. So it is it is amazing to me. Reading your story, it is so well laid out. Um, however, what makes this different, it's not he said, she said, or he said, he said. No. Um, because you had uh, permission to go into the 14,000 hours uh, of videotape. You knew what you were looking for. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And in the story, you knew what time it even happened because the testimony was gunshots, yeah. uh, you know, gunfire. Right. And so that marked it at a certain time when they they shot an innocent. So tell me about what you found, what the story was in the, the, the testimony, and then what you found on the tape. Well, the story in the testimony from special agent, now this is Capitol Police Special Agent David Lazarus, is that when he heard the gunshots at 243, 244, um, broadcasted over the radio that shots had been fired, that he was down in the tunnels escorting senators towards the uh, Rayburn building to the other Senate uh, right. office buildings. And that's quite a, quite a long distance away from the House chamber where allegedly these shots were fired. He said at that moment at 2.44, he began turning around and heading back. Well, when we because we knew what to look for, we immediately went there and we started working our way backwards and we found him in the tunnels at that time. The problem with it is that when he emerged from the Senate building tunnels in the subway system below the Capitol, and by the way, Glenn, these are videos that were never released to the defense attorneys this is- in this trial. This, if if we were living in normal times, the people that had been convicted with any of the testimony in, 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 revolving around these guys, yeah. they would be released. Any other time in American history, they would be released because this is perjury. And somebody set this up. Somebody. And we're working on that trail mm-hmm. as well. Good. But going back to Lazarus, so he emerges and comes back into camera frame on the Capitol TVs with absolute proof of the exact time down to the second of when he emerged back into camera. He even passes under an analog clock in the subway at exactly this moment, and it's at 2.48 p.m. when he finally reaches the other side of the tunnels from the Senate office buildings. And when that happens, the Oath Keeper Officer Dunn encounter is almost already over by then. He's nowhere near it, and he still has a long way to go. And then we were able to triangulate because, you know, he, he'll go out of camera frame for a while. Then he'll enter camera frame again from another camera. Right. And then he's down another hall, and then he enters another hallway. And then he shows up on the Senate side. And then by the time he reaches the bottom of the stairs that lead up to uh, the rotunda, and it's in a little area that variously called the mini rotunda or the speaker's lobby. Mm-hmm. When he reaches the bottom of those stairs, it's now 2.56.45 p.m. And the Oath Keepers are long gone. Okay, so now let me let me give you the exact verbiage from the testimony in the court case. 
Lazarus, the guy you've just been talking about, explained that one rioter asked, who are you? Who are you? Then, according to the trial transcript, he testified. And, you know, one attempted to, uh, I mean, I had my lanyard on with my ID on it. And one, uh, they were videotaping and one attempted to pull at my ID. And I was kind of like grabbed it back and, and looked to make sure it was still there. And then I saw an opening. So so there was just kind of like I walked fast to get into the office and check on the staff again. He then detailed description of what took place, what Lazarus described as a very antagonistic in three or four times that he passed by these Oath Keepers. Every time I interacted or came by, yes, it was very antagonistic. He said this under oath. Um, when he was then shown in court... Uh, a, a video clip of four Oath Keepers standing in front of Dunn. Uh, Lazarus was asked, are these the individuals you observed? Yes, yes. At any point in these three or four interactions in this space, did you observe any sort of anything but antagonistic conversation? No, that's correct. Here's the problem. They were already out of the building. At the time we know him now on camera, we have the videotape. Mm -hmm. the, the Oath Keepers have been gone for almost 10 minutes. It was, it was not quite 10 minutes. It was, but when, you, when you're in the Capitol um, video room viewing this, we can, yeah. we can put multiple cameras up on the screen at the same time. And then we hit one button and it syncs all of those cameras oh my to gosh. the exact timeline. So we're able to watch... Lazarus moving through the building in one quadrant of the screen, and then we can watch when the Oath Keepers leave. So as the Oath Keepers leave, and they're walking back out through the rotunda, about to exit through the Columbus doors on the east side, it wasn't until that moment that finally Lazarus reaches that area where in great detail in the trial, and we have the trial transcripts, obviously, in great detail, he describes what he saw, and it just did not happen. So... Uh, this was a, an important part of the trial, right? It was a huge part of the trial because the one thing that the government uh, uh, was absolutely intent upon doing was not allowing anything that could be exculpatory or anything that painted the Oath Keepers in a positive light. And this wasn't the only positive interaction that Oath Keepers had with law enforcement that day. Right. You've interviewed uh, Lieutenant Tarek Johnson. Yes. Lieutenant Tarek Johnson used two Oath Keepers, re literally recruited them to help rescue another 16 officers right. out of a dangerous situation. Right. That so, was never allowed in the trial. So, and I, you know, I learned something from the article. Let me see if I can find it here. I, I had no idea... Uh, Oath Keepers, seditious, blah, blah, blah. Federal prosecutors claim while they were inside the Capitol, members of the group were involved in contentious uh, interaction. Uh, I don't know where it is now. But you, you talk about the Oath Keepers, how they've never, they've never had here. 35,000 dues-paying members had more than a decade's worth of spotless record providing disaster relief and security during riots and other large events. They had never once been accused or charged with a crime in thousands of operations. I had no idea. One of the things that the government 
could not do in that trial is they could not counter that little piece of information. And, of course, it didn't matter in front of a D.C. jury. I mean, the D.C. jury, it was a fait accompli before day one in terms of what the outcome of that trial was going to be. But one of the things that the defense did successfully present is the fact that in years and years of disaster relief operations, security details, and all kinds of time, other times when they actually went and were recruited and hired by minority businesses like in uh, uh Ferguson, mm-hmm. uh, like in uh, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and those riots, where they were recruited by minority businesses to come help us protect our businesses, we were, or the, the defense was rather able to show some of those videos. But the one thing that the government could not prove was that at any time since 2009, when the Oath Keepers were founded, that there had ever been a single time where an Oath Keeper had committed violence in any of those operations, or had ever committed a crime any charges had ever been filed. And when you think the Oath Keepers, you think, oh, they're just really bad. Isn't that remarkable how that has has been portrayed and carried by the press? Okay, so there's obviously some sort of conspiracy here because <laughs> these guys... They don't they're they're both saying the same story, but it seems to switch where one is saying, No, I saw him at the top of the stairs, and the other guy's saying, No, I saw him at the top of the stairs. They couldn't even get their story right. Yeah, it's inexplicable that they the editor of Harry Dunn's forthcoming book did not check the trial transcripts. Because when Lazarus, David Lazarus, special agent, Nancy Pelosi's head of security, tells his version of events, he says that when he runs to the top of the stairs, that he sees this large imposing figure, because Dunn is 6'7", 300 Mm -hmm. pounds, plus all the gear he had on. And he sees this large imposing uh, imposing figure in a contentious uh, moment with these Oath Keepers that were giving him the business, all right? Mm -hmm. And that's his testimony. In Dunn's book, he explains that when he ran to the top of that stairs and reached that stairwell landing at the top, that Lazarus was already there and he was being uh, confronted by protesters. Okay, so the questions that we need to ask and what this actually means, I'm afraid, Stu and I were talking about it this morning, that um, in any other time, any other time in American history, this case would be thrown out now. They would they would uh, file a charge. They got to throw this case out, uh, and it would be done, and people would care. I'm not sure people care. I'm not sure people. I mean that that's where our justice system is. It only moves because somebody says something. Somebody the, the American people just won't take it. I wonder what the I wonder what the real fallout of this will be. And you probably have a good <laughs> idea. Okay. Uh, what is next in this? And I know you talk to people in Congress, but is this going to move anything in D.C.? I can tell you that not only working with Weaponization Committee investigators on this story, as well as the high-ranking staffers, and I can't get into mm-hmm. specific on-the-record details, that there will be talks about hearings, and we know what hearings result in <laughs> far yeah. too often. But uh, there has to be something next because 
Glenn, this is this is literally an existential threat to our republic. What is taking place in our courts right this now? This is in our DC. this is our government not getting it wrong. No, this is our government setting American citizens up, withholding evidence that's exculpatory, um, sentencing them to long sentences, mm-hmm. and. Apparently, several people are involved in this. This is re- this is as bad as it gets. Even in one of the specific Oath Keepers cases, during his sentencing hearing, this was the Oath Keeper, Ken Harrelson, who you can see in video holding the crowd back from Officer Dunn. I mean, he's literally got his hands extended, and he's holding the back, holding them back as they were agitating Protecting. and trying to get it done. Right. And there's four Oath Keepers lined up. With their backs turned to Dunn, he's at the top of the stairwell holding an M4 rifle, and and these guys are holding them back. And in his case, particularly, Judge Maida in his sentencing hearing actually said these words. He said, Mr. Harrelson, I do not believe that you're the man that the government has made you out to be. If I could speak to Maida right now, Judge Maida, I would tell him, now we know that he is not the man who the government made him out to be. You, you need to send him home. Have you talked to their attorneys yet, the Oath Keepers I talk attorneys? to them every day. And now that this is out and you're able to prove this, are they going to move? Uh, they're obviously they're in transition from their trial representation to their different uh, legal teams that are going to be representing right. them in appeal. But these guys are are uh, hot. They're hot. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and of course, they you know they 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 all know how this was set up, and this is where the next part of this story is going. Is that look, we we know we know that there was the equivalent of a star chamber set up mm-hmm. and said, how are we going to get these guys? And we see the process and the pattern of events of how they led to that, as well as here, absolute proof of the creation and manipulation of testimony and of something that never happened and presented in that trial. This story is a year's worth of a man's life. You must read it by Steve Baker. Did Pelosi's security chief perjure himself in the Oath Keepers trial? It is only part one of a series that Steve is working on, and you'll find it from Blaze Media at theblaze.com. You will also find everything that Steve has been doing and will be doing in the future at truthnewsnet.org. We get it the same time the Blaze gets it. Now, there were some really, really hard-to-swallow pieces of evidence you just heard. And there are some far-reaching outcomes that are inevitable. And I don't want to let this go by without weighing into factually with you. You sit tight right there. We're going to do that right after this. Drinking water is essential to your health. That's why you need to drink plenty of water to keep you hydrated throughout the day. Unlike power drinks or soft drinks, water is truly the only drink that can quench your thirst. It's an easy, refreshing way to keep your body healthy and strong. Freshen up today with a brisk, cool bottle of water. It's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance, and people love it. Of course, they love the savings they're going to get with Geico, but it goes beyond that. You deserve to save. (laughs) Heard that before. You deserve to save. I know. 
I need you to hear me. You deserve to save. I deserve to save. I mean, he has a way of making you feel seen. Bundle car and motorcycle insurance and save at Geico.com. Believe in the power of friendship. Really? You guys are good. <laughs> movies right when you want them. Watch unlimited movies instantly for only nine bucks a month from Netflix. That's so cute, it's stupid. This is your home. This is your family room, slash gym. The guest bedroom, slash music studio. The day bed, slash dog bed. The living room, slash yoga shanti, slash regional office. How did you guys do it? Slash classroom. And this is the basement, slash panic room. Maybe what your family needs is a vacation home, slash vacation home. Find yours on the Verbo app. Saying it out loud. No spin, only the truth. Again, Dan Newman. Let's go back and just summarize what you just heard. Glenn Beck with our own Steve Baker. Here's part one. And by the way, you can see that video. It's up right now at truthnewsnet.org's TNN Live show. So go to truthnewsnet.org, and on the front page you'll see a little potpourri of stories that are up there. And that interview, if you want to listen to it again between Glenn and Steve, is right there. Also, part one of Steve's story, we published it day before yesterday. You can grab that one as well. Here's what we had suspected for years now. You realize we're almost four years since that happened? Three years since it happened. It's taken this long to piece all this factual evidence together. What is being proven now is something that many of you suspected was going on for a long time. Our government has totally weaponized itself against the American people. And we're finding and seeing case after case that proves this. Let me just point something out that happened after January 6th. You remember up in Michigan when a bunch of hardcore guys, they put a plot together to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer? You remember that? When it was investigated and all the people that were involved were investigated, we found out it was a total setup that was put together by the FBI to try to entrap people that they suspected might be evil. If you put that in the context of what you just heard from Steve Baker and Glenn Beck about the reality that that is just part one of that reality, people that work in the federal government have colluded with the federal government to weaponize something that happened that was real, but totally changing the face of what people think about what happened and to make it look like it's okay, not only okay, but it's mandatory that our government go after those evil conservatives of every ilk 
And the Oath Keepers, when you talk about a club, the Oath Keepers, you automatically think it's like, you know, the Banditos, a motorcycle gang. These are people that are out there to beat other people up and to commit all kinds of criminal activity. That's what you think when you hear about it. And they use that perception among the minds of millions of Americans about the Oath Keepers, and they use that to justify lying, perjuring themselves in federal trials to get those evil Oath Keepers and get them behind bars. It's all a piece of a plan. And that is just part one. If you know me, if you've ever been in this show, you read many of our articles. I am not a conspiracy theorist. But what I promised from the very beginning of the creation of Truth News Network and this show TNN Live, I promised everybody what I will do is I'll smell something that seems a little bit off. And I'm going to go find out if it's a little bit off or if I just missed it. And we've done that for four years now. We're going to keep doing it. There are people out there that don't like it. Steve and I, if you're a regular here, when he joins us every Tuesday, the second hour of our show, we've laughed frequently because this is a streaming live show, which means it's via internet. And our company up in Seattle that beams it out to satellites sends this show to 190 different countries live. Now, to many people, that sounds like, wow, that's really cool. You're talking to people. And we have the ability during the live show on a computer screen here, we don't see who's listening. But what we do see are a list of IP addresses. And for those of you that aren't computer savvy, every instrument, a cell phone, a computer, a laptop, it has its own IP address. And so there's a list of all of the IP addresses that are listening right now and also the town and the country in which you're listening from. And so every day when the show gets started, at some point during the break you just heard, I just flipped over and looked to see where everybody is listening from. As usual, when we have a Steve Baker story or when Steve Baker is here, we have people from Langley, Virginia that are dialed in and listening. Well, what does that mean? The CIA is in Langley, Virginia. Steve Baker is being and has been investigated by the FBI he and his lawyer have had multiple meetings with the FBI about his involvement on January 6th. He didn't do anything wrong other than go into the Capitol. He was absolutely being a journalist, doing what he and hundreds of other journalists did that day. But it's not about that. It's about what's happening right now. Exposure. Exposure. They don't think, they being, I don't want to call them the deep state or a cabal, but the people that are in the power positions in our government, they think they're going to be able to just continue to move to the left 
and turn our representative republic into something totally different. And they are making it happen a little bit at a time so quietly that very few people are catching on to what's going on. We're headed towards a oligarchy. I wrote a story two weeks ago. You can find it at truthnewsnet.org. And the title of it, now I may miss it. I don't have it in front of me now, but it's Democrat. My definition is oligarchy. An oligarchy is a political government that is made up and the power in the absolute power in that government is contained within a very small group of very political heavyweights and usually a group of very wealthy people, and they control everything that happens in that nation. I don't believe, I used to believe, formally, I believed, that those people wanted to take us all the way into pure totalitarianism, communism, whatever you want to call it. I don't necessarily think that's the case now. I think they're confident that they can seize control of this government from you and I without us even blinking. And they'll, all the way through, they'll tell us when these things that they do pop up and we go, wait a minute, you can't do that in this government. And they'll be able to say, oh, well, we're just, we just know what's coming down the pike. We've got your best interest at heart, so we're going to push this forward. Just watch. Just watch what happens. Case in point. Federal law is full of specific federal law statutes regarding immigration and what constitutes legal immigration and everything else in immigration, which is not immigration, it's law-breaking. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Those of you that are regular here, you know how much I am fried by the mass illegal entry into our nation every day in direct violation to multiple federal statutes, many of which were negotiated in Congress, amended, voted on, and passed, and sent to the sitting president at the time to be signed into law at the behest of then-Senator Joe Biden. Every person that steps across any border, northern or southern, or comes into our country anywhere on the west coast or the east coast, and does it without formal approval in writing from our federal government to do so, is committing a federal crime. And the second piece to this is, anybody, it doesn't have to be somebody that's on a dock at one of the ports on the West Coast or the East Coast or the Gulf Coast, but anybody, it could be, oh, let's say the President of the United States or the Homeland Security Secretary, anybody that suborns, in other words, facilitates or allows those people to come into this nation illegally is also 
every time it happens, committing a federal law violation. And so what have we been being told for all these months and years? Oh, we've got to let these people come in here. They're just trying to make a better life for themselves and their families. They're living in rank poverty. They don't have sanitary conditions. They can't get good food. And their governments are tearing those people apart or killing people, horrible things to families. We've got to let them in. And so many Americans, we've got big hearts. Many Americans trusted the government, as we always have. Eight million minimum. Those are the ones we know about. Eight million illegals have come into this country with our knowledge after the fact while Joe Biden's been president. Eight million. That doesn't include the gotaways, the ones that we know because of electronic surveillance, but they didn't catch them, but we know there are even more that are here illegally. Every one of them is in violation of federal law. Every one of them is a law violation by President Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, Homeland Security Secretary. They not only allow it, they encourage it and facilitate the process. And we haven't stopped it. Our nation is changing. It's very quickly losing its identity as being a nation that is government by the people, for the people, and by the people of the United States. That's in your rearview mirror now, folks. We don't have any say-so. We don't have any. Case in point, Mexico runs today. They run a program, a formal program, that transports migrants straight across all of Mexico to its northern border with us. Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has warned that the United States will soon see about 10,000 illegal immigrants every day arrive at its border with Mexico. Such a large number of illegal immigrants are reaching Mexico's northern border with the U.S. partly due to about 6,000 illegal immigrants crossing from Guatemala into Mexico every day for the past week. Now that's from the president, President Obrador of Mexico. He criticized U.S. sanctions on nations like Cuba and Venezuela, two nationalities that make up a big portion of the illegal immigrant flow. On September 29th, just days ago, President Obrador called on the U.S. to remove blockades and stop harassing independent and free countries. There should be an integrated plan for cooperations so the Venezuelans, Cubans, Nicaraguans, Ecuadorans, Guatemalans, Hondurans wouldn't be forced to immigrate, he said. 
the president of Mexico is blaming the United States of America for all of the illegal immigration that's going on coming through his country. He also criticized us, our use of funds to support Ukraine in its war against Russia. Who is he to jump on us about anything we're doing? I understand the illegal immigration stuff, but maybe he's jealous. Maybe he would rather we gave those millions that we're wasting in large part in Ukraine. He'd like us to give it to him. His comments came as his country's done little to prevent migrants from getting onto trains headed to our border. Moreover, Mexico currently runs a government program that sends buses for these migrants in the southern region of their country, transporting thousands of them to its northern border with us. In other words, it's a system. And then there's the U.S. government's CBP-1 app. It's Alejandro Mayorkas' brainchild. Hey, let's create an app, and let's make it easy for these illegals to go online, and you can set up an appointment at a specific border crossing appointment, a day and a date for you to come there so you can go and get registered into a immigration court. You can register your claim. You'll be here legally temporarily. Well, they're not legal because they don't have an invitation, but they did register before they came in. But then what happens? Do you know that right now when they schedule asylum hearings for these people, when they come to the southern border and they make a claim of asylum, they get a court date. They got to be back down here for this date. Here's the date your asylum claim is going to be heard. Those dates are as long as 10 years. There are so many of those that are being filed. What happens for those 10 years? Well, they came in. They were honest about that. They made an appointment. We know they must be good people. We don't just let them loose in the nation. We give them health care for themselves and their family members. We give them money. We give them money. We give them cell phones. And we tell them we will educate your kids at our expense. Overall, 2.2 million immigrant encounters have been recorded for just this year until August. On pace to meet or exceed the 2.37 million encounters in fiscal year 2022. In that fiscal year, the number of encounters was lower at 1.73 million. Fiscal year 2020, there were only half million. Is all of this okay with you? Oberdor told us, we've got to set up a system in the United States. Uh, President Oberdor, listen closely. I'm Dan. I'm from Texas. I live not far away from your border. And I like Mexico. I like vacationing. I like bass fishing in the mountains of Mexico, none of which I can do anymore. 
I played golf on three trips to Cabo San Lucas, one of the most beautiful places on earth. Mr. President, we have an immigration process here in the United States. We've had it for many years. It's in our laws. And sir, did you know that using our immigration system, those immigrants that you were saying are just being excoriated by horrors in their home countries like Honduras, Venezuela, Cuba, all of those people can access our legal immigration system. There is a plan. The country in which they live, we have consulates in every one of those countries. They can go to our consulate and fill out an application to enter our legal immigration process. And then what happens? They have steps that they must go through. It's very organized, very structured, and very effective. Did you know every year the United States of America legally immigrates one million foreigners into the United States? And by the way, they get citizenship at the end of that process. One million a year. Well, (laughs) that's just a million. Joe's let eight million in. They just walked across and didn't have to do any of that other stuff. Yeah, but they're not legal. They're not citizens, and they are destroying the infrastructure of the United States. I've given you this stat before. I'll give it to you again. In Texas alone, over a two-year period, Texas Department of Public Safety, they clocked 600,000 felony crimes against Texans in two years committed by illegals in Texas alone. 600,000, everything from first-degree murder down to breaking an entry. And by the way, the million that we let in legally, you know how that compares with everybody else? Well, put it in a bucket. Let's compare it to everybody else. If you add every one of the other 190-plus nations, if you add all their illegal immigrants they allow into each of their countries, you add them all up for 190-plus, it doesn't equal the one million a year that we already let in legally. Don't tell me Americans don't have good hearts. Don't tell me we're not doing the right thing. And please don't tell me it's okay to break laws and just let this crap continue. The verdict is in. Money on. Lipo and a butt job. You got as long as you need to respond to that. Judge Steve Harvey, new Tuesday on ABC. Genuine Ford Parts and Service presents a word from your wallet. 
Dow. Oh, are we at the gas station? Oh. Yeah, I know. I'm feeling these gas prices, too. I'm the wallet down here. Head to a Ford dealership. Why? Proper vehicle maintenance. A new air filter can save 19 cents a gallon. Correct tire inflation up to 6 cents a gallon. Wow, that sure adds up. <laughs> Fat wallets are very in right now. Right now, Motorcraft air filter replacement is just $19.95 or less. Replacing a dirty air filter can increase fuel economy by as much as 10%. Well, done. That was easy. Maybe you should listen to your wallet more often. Well, you're typically pretty quiet. Well, I didn't want to be a pain in the... Uh, 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 uh. Hurry in for the best deals we've had in years. Money-saving rebates on brakes, batteries, tires, and more. See your participating Ford dealer today. Raid Shadow Legends. I mean... <laughs> you pick your champions, they're glorious, and their shields, oh, they glisten like uh, wet otters. But the bad guys, they're Lovecraftian, they're spooky, they're um, um, big. And then you go to battle, and it's like... And finally, your foe is vanquished, and that satisfaction is such a primal feeling. Ooh, Download Raid Shadow Legends. Play for free. Ready to take your Jenga skills to the next level? If you are an all-star at building towers and balancing blocks, then build up the competition in new Jenga Maker. Play in teams to finish first and claim the crown. Jenga and new Jenga Maker. Reach the top of your game, each sold separately. The Speaker of the House lies. The media swear to it. The President of the Senate obstructs. The media are all over the place, but totally divorced from the truth. So let's get back to navigating this Stygian River with, again, Dan Newman. I don't even know where the Stygian River is, but if I was on it, I could probably figure out how to navigate down it. Just saying. Hey, we've got this continuing resolution in place. That means we've got government Monday week and spend for another 40 days or so, but we've got to come up with a budget. While we're dealing with that, and, of course, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was kicked out. We're waiting on a new Speaker of the House to be put in place. We were told that's going to happen next Tuesday. By the way, in communication last night with Louisiana Congressman um, Mike Johnson, they are hard at it. And uh, he said he's never worked as hard and as diligently And he said, this is the most important thing we're going to do in a while because we've got to have the right person in that seat so that we start governing for the people instead of governing for the government. It made a lot of sense to me. But let me just blow your mind. You probably haven't heard this. On the other side of the Capitol, the U.S. Senate. Now, they didn't have any part in the Kevin McCarthy thing And uh, they did sign off on the continuing resolution they had to, or it was going to shut the government down. So one would think they're working on their own version. And when the House puts their budget stuff together, it'll go across the Capitol to the Senate. They may change some things, and then they all put it back together. A committee, a joint committee is put together, and then they reconcile the two bills, one from the House, one from the Senate, and come up with a law a proposed law, and then it goes to be passed by both houses and sent to the president to sign. So one would think under the circumstances how this has happened, so much pain and horror, so many people broken and hurt, that everybody would be on one train. Let's get it done. Well, over in the Senate, Democrat Senator Bennett, 
he came up with a good one overnight. Quote, I'll definitely shut down government if we don't have Ukraine money. Bennett said that he is definitely willing to shut down the government if a bill to keep it open doesn't include funding for Ukraine. So MSNBC host Katie Turr asked him, are you ready to hold up a bill that comes to the Senate that does not include that Ukraine funding, potentially to shut down the government? Bennett said, I definitely am. I said on Saturday that my mom, she's a Polish Jew, was born in Warsaw, Poland in 1938. It's very easy to see from her perspective. She survived with the perspective of the 16 million people that were killed in Ukraine and Poland during World War II, how they get forgotten by politicians here that seem to be concerned with a different set of imperatives. Of course, he didn't go into the different set of imperatives concentrating solely on Ukraine and Poland and, of course, all that area of Europe. He wasn't through. He said, and Katie, I don't think this is a moment for politics. It's not a question of when we go home. Do we stay here? Do we make a trade for this or do we make a trade for that? I think that we've given a little over $70 billion which is less than what the Europeans have put in this war. Earlier, Bennett said that America is, quote, at the head of these free countries around the world, standing against tyranny. Okay. Here's the deal. It's actually not a deal in absolute. It's multiple pieces in this deal. First of all, who's running the war for Ukraine? Volodymyr Zelensky, the president. How do we know that? Wouldn't you think that it would be wise for European countries since they are part of a union? They have a president of the European Union, wouldn't you think it would be wise for all of those countries, European countries that have put up all these billions of dollars for Ukraine to fight Vladimir Putin and Russia? And then, of course, the United States across the pond, they say 70 billion. I can tell you it's more than that, but let's just say it's 70. So that would mean close to $200 billion has ended up in Ukraine for a war Nobody that's putting up the money has any say-so, no look-see, no opportunity to examine what is being done, how it's being done, and why it's being done, and can help manage at least the financial operation of what's going on in Ukraine. Do you think there may be some siphoning off of some of that money? I told you I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Dunstan Teo, pretty much considered to be the number one cryptocurrency guru on the planet, owns more Bitcoin than anybody else on earth. He is a close friend of mine. On this show, he came, he reached out right after Sam Bankman freed that whole scandal saw the light of day, and Sam was arrested. 
Of course, his trial is underway now for a massive amount of fraud. He will probably not see daylight for a long, long time to come. Dunstan called. You can go back and listen to the show. I don't remember the date, but it's easy to find. You can go to our homepage, any place that the podcast goes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, even Google. You can and just do TNN Live. You'll see a list of all of our shows there. Go back and it's got Dunstan's name, D-U-N-S-T-O-N, Teo, T-E-O. Hear exactly what he said. I'll paraphrase it for you. All of that money that was sent to Ukraine, the first billions that the United States sent, none of it went through wire transfer. They thought that the banking system in Ukraine wasn't safe. That was the reason they gave. It was sent as cryptocurrency. And Dunstan said, factually, he knew that a huge chunk of that money was siphoned off and went to several other entities. And he even named them. The Clinton Foundation, Volodymyr Zelensky, and the Clintons personally. Do I have any way to verify that? No, I will tell you this. I doubt very seriously a man like Dunstan Teo would come on this show and publicly make such a statement knowing that if it wasn't true, he would be in tremendous difficulty and opening himself up for massive litigation. Nobody said anything to refute that. Nobody did. Oh, by the way, not giving money to Ukraine. There's another senator that says, we don't give Ukraine money. I'm going to shut it down. New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. Again, he was responding to a question on whether he'd hold up a bill to prevent a government shutdown if it didn't have Ukraine funding by stating that, quote, we're going to do whatever we have to do to fight to make sure Ukraine funding happens. And it happens in a way that gives them the unbroken resources that they need to continue to repel this Russian invasion. Host on that show, Katie Collins asked, are you willing to hold up any bill that comes to the Senate without that funding for Ukraine in it? He responded, I have never seen the kind of resolve in my caucus, and I wish there were public meetings to see the passionate speeches given across the spectrum of my caucus in the Senate about how the urgency we all see. People have quoted history. We've had people who stood up who had relatives who survived the Holocaust. The speeches I've heard in our private meetings in the Senate are so strong in support of Ukraine. And I know from talking to my Republican colleagues over there, there is a strong support there as well. So I have every confidence we're going to do whatever we have to do to fight to make sure Ukraine funding happens. And it happens in a way that gives them the unbroken resources they need to continue to repel this Russian invasion. What's it all about? The love of money is the root of all evil. That's not from me. (laughs) That's from uh, somebody who died and rose from the dead. Check it out in the Bible. Not money. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money. 
is the root of all evil. Can we lighten this up for just a second? I know what I'm about to tell you will break some of your hearts, but it'll make some people very happy. You'll be glad to know that Commander has been banned from the White House after his series of biting incidents. Now, Commander's not Joe. (laughs) I don't think Joe has bitten any of his Secret Service people. Commander has quite a few, as a matter of fact. He's been removed from the White House. Last month, he bit a security service agent on White House grounds, and that was number 11, the 11th known biting incident. (laughs) The president and first lady care deeply about the safety of those who work at the White House and those who protect them every day. They remain grateful for the patience and support of the U.S. Secret Service and all involved as they continue to work through solutions. That's from First Lady Jill Biden's. I'm just wondering who decided 11 was the magic number. (laughs) I would think somewhere around three (laughs) would be plenty for me. And I guarantee you those Secret Service people that got bitten, if it hadn't been the president's dog, that dog would have been uh, suicided (laughs) like it was an enemy of the Clintons. I'm just saying. Hey, we hadn't talked about this. I, I wanna I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but in the aftermath of Kevin McCarthy being kicked out of uh, the speaker position in the House, there are several people that I know personally that are in the running for it. And I like them all. Steve Scalise. I, he listens to this show fairly regularly. And uh, I haven't looked this morning. I don't know the IP address. We have a big crowd in New Orleans that listens. He, of course, I think he went home as part of this temporary, I don't even want to call it a vacation, this break that they took up there. Nevertheless, Steve Scalise is a good man. He's fighting a physical battle right now, multiple myeloma. If you're not familiar with it, it's a very deadly type of cancer of the blood One of my closest friends from college had a horrible case of it, had a death sentence, a great athlete. He beat it, but it took him two years to beat it. Steve has already started treatment. I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him. I don't know what level his was, but be in prayer for Steve Scalise because he is a true public servant. He has asked, in fact, he's put his hat in the ring to be the speaker, Jim Jordan as well also a great lawmaker and a hard worker. And then the third odd man out probably is Mike Johnson, congressman from up here. And I don't need to tell you about him. He's with us every two or three weeks live on the show. In fact, next week he'll probably be with us depending on the schedule up there. But we got to have leadership. And since all of this happened the other day, it just seems like Congress... Everybody's going nuts, and they're complaining about everything. Least of all is not Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who she pretty much gripes about everything when it doesn't go her way anyway. Jesse Waters kind of put that all in context yesterday. Washington is giving us flashbacks of freshman year. Congress is pulling fire alarms, making out in auditoriums, and the gossip's all about Pelosi losing her desk. 
Republicans are evicting Democrats from their offices. If you kick our guys out, we're going to kick yours. We're hearing reports that congressmen are crying in the halls. We're talking about congressmen, not women, men. The backup speaker tried to break the gavel. The chair declares the House in recess subject to the call of the chair. <laughs> They're never mad when things happen to us. They only get mad when things happen to them. So the temporary House speaker wears a bow tie and is shorter than Gutfeld. And AOC is mad because she's missing recess. We were supposed to be in recess this week. It was Kevin McCarthy that decided to take us out of recess, the House out of recess, and right back into work. I'm supposed to be in New York. I was supposed to be in community this week. We're supposed to be with, with folks that were affected by flooding, but Kevin McCarthy decided we're gonna be back in the House this week. To do what? I don't even know. AOC's whining she has to work after she had six weeks off. But they say distance makes the heart grow fonder. Look at Omar here, checking out Gates in the chamber. Mm -mm -mm. Easy congresswoman, he's not your brother. It's true, women do like the bad boy. Speaking of the bad boy, Republicans are floating Trump as speaker now. Uh, a lot of people have been calling me about speaker. All I can say is we'll do whatever's best for the country and for the Republican Party. Would you, would you take a job? A lot of people have asked me about it. I'm focused, you know, we're leading. I don't know you, I'm sure you don't read too much. Trump can't babysit Washington. I mean, he's going to be stuck in court all year. I'm here, stuck here, and I can't campaign. I'd rather be right now in Iowa. I'd rather be in New Hampshire, South Carolina, or Ohio, or a lot of other places, but I'm stuck here because I have a corrupt attorney general that communicates with the DOJ in Washington to keep me nice and busy because I'm leading Biden in the polls by a lot. Mr. Trump, why is Washington? election interference. Here's the Trump courtroom strategy. Since there's no cameras inside, he's going to spin the case each day from outside the steps. The media will take him live while he holds court and rages against injustice and nails Biden's hide to the wall. Free media like that, that's how he got elected in 16. So Trump has no time for shenanigans. And does it even matter who the House Speaker is when every politician is a spending addict? Congress raised the roof with COVID spending to seven trillion and tried to keep it up there after the pandemic and thought you wouldn't care. We are sitting atop a $33 trillion debt, and we are about to run $2.2 trillion annual deficits. We are about to see uh, rates skyrocket at a time when most American families are spending $700 more per month to get the same household goods and services. So I worry about financial ruin. I worry about de-dollarization and potentially losing the dollar as the global reserve currency uh, more than I worry about whether or not some of my fellow Republicans have to go do a little hand-wringing and bedwetting over Kevin McCarthy. Donors aren't giving politicians money for favors. They want cash back. And the politicians pay them back in pork right before Christmas Eve. In one big old 50,000-page bill you can't read. But primetime just read what the politicians want stuffed inside. Are you ready? 
one and a half million dollars for a carbon neutral bird sanctuary in Virginia. How about this? A million dollars to put solar paneled roofs on low income housing in California. A quarter million dollars to give Teslas to people in the projects. Where would they charge them? Don't worry. Half a million dollars for charging stations. Three million dollars for a playground in California. Now, we researched what a playground costs to install 50,000 tops. How about seven million dollars for an inclusive and equitable park? What makes a park inclusive or equitable? I mean, do they lower the hoops so whites can dunk? We don't know. Five million dollars to put Wi-Fi in a park. When have you ever been on a park and said, darn it, I can't get Wi-Fi here? A million dollars to put grass and trees in a parking lot. Okay, I called my landscaper and he said sodding a parking lot, $2 a square foot, 30,000 square feet is 60,000. And he said $500 a tree. So let's say I want 100 trees in the parking lot. So that's 50 grand. We just sodded and planted trees for about $900,000 below cost. $11 million for a machine gun range. <laughs> no wonder they think Mar-a-Lago is worth 18 mil. And Nancy Pelosi asked for a $5 million elevator at a train station. How many stories is this train station? A hundred? Then there's AOC. AOC wants a half a million dollars to remodel a bathroom and a library. I didn't even know AOC's constituents used libraries. AOC also wants a million dollars to refurbish a basketball court. All right. It's outdoors, so you pave it, you paint the free throw line, paint the three-point line, the half-court line, and you put up two hoops that won't break when I dunk on them. And we got a quote to build a basketball court from scratch, 75,000 tops. And that's with the fiberglass backboards. She wants a million. So this whole house speaker drama is a racket. And they look you straight in the eye and they tell you they want to get inflation down. How is that possible when you're spending a million dollars on a basketball court? The whole thing's a joke. They're robbing us, paying back their donors and pretending they're at work. I get it now. Keeping the government open is destroying the dollar. Primetime says vote them all out. Vote them all out. We the people, we have that option. You know that. The only thing we can do about this is with our votes and you're probably, when I say that, we're just not sure our votes are getting counted or counted the right way in the first place. That may be true. We've got to get that taken care of. And there have been litigation and laws passed in 13 states that have tightened up on the voting processes in those states. It only took five, five states that, almost single-handedly determined the outcome of the 2022 midterm elections. Think about that. Well, here's a bit of good news. It shocked me when I saw it. We, the people of the United States, our representatives, our government, has waived 26 federal laws. Now, this is not a bad thing. 26 federal laws, they've waived those to allow construction of our southern border wall. Now think about this. The Biden administration, in an obvious about-face to its previous stance, 
declared yesterday there was an immediate need to expedite the construction of the U.S.-Mexico border walls in Starr County, Texas, in the response to the ever-growing number of illegal entries by migrants. So Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, he said he's going to waive dozens of federal regulations, 26 in total, in order to fast-track the construction of roads and barriers along the southern border in Texas. The new barriers will be built within the Border Patrol's Rio Grande Valley sector. These areas were designated high illegal entry zones, and construction efforts are going to focus on these locations. Now, don't interrupt me. (laughs) Let me finish this. These areas comprise the vicinity of the Falcon Dam, the Arroyo Mortorius Tract, the La Ruinas Tract, and the Arroyo Ramirez Tract, intersections of major roads like Perez Road and U.S. Highway 83, as well as various tracks within the Lower Grand Valley National Wildlife Refuge. Mayorkas issued the waiver. Now, I wanted to get to this part. Mayorkas, Alejandro Mayorkas, he's a member of Biden's cabinet. He's the Secretary of Homeland Security. Now, he said he is waiving, he, Mayorkas, is waiving dozens of federal laws. I don't mean to be um, picky here, but he can't waive a federal law. He can't waive a federal regulation. He can't do it. It's illegal. And he knows that. And then the obvious question comes when I told you about this. Why would they waive any laws and why would they want to build the Southern Wall? Because everything they've done is to block any kind of prohibition for any illegal to get into our nation. Why would they do this? I'm going to surmise for a second. Just just go with me for a second. They had a meeting. I'm sure they have lots of meetings. Mayorkas is there. Biden's there. Other members of the cabinet are there, and they're talking about our big, big problems. And, of course, the immigration debacle at the southern border has got to be number one. If it's not number one, it's in the top one and a half. Would you agree? So we've got to do something. We've got an election year. We're fixing to go into 2024, and there's an election year. Mr. President, you're running for re-election as of now. Don't you think the American people have just about had it with all of these illegals that are coming across, and there's no plans in place, nothing has been structured or done legally to change the immigration laws, and Americans have had it up to their eyeballs? Well, why don't we do this? Why don't we start touting that we're going to set aside some of the laws and regulations that we put in place and let's start building just one section of the wall, the barrier, whatever you want to call it, so we can use that in our campaign advertising for 2024. I can see that happening. Can you? DHS, we're told, they intend to fund the construction project 
using appropriations that were allocated by Congress during the Trump administration back in 2019 for the purpose of building the border wall in the Rio Grande Valley. In order to build a wall and roads to deter illegal immigration, Mr. Mayorkas determined that it is necessary under Section 102 of the Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigration Responsibility Act of 1996 to waive certain laws, regulations, and other legal requirements. The waived statutes include several environmental and conservation laws, such as the National Environmental Policy Act, the Endangered Species Act, and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, among others. While the waiver grants exceptions for a wide range of statutes, DHS noted it does not revoke or supersede any previously granted waivers issued pursuant to Section 102C. Mayorkas, now this is their putting this out, Homeland Security. This is in a release. Mr. Mayorkas retained the authority to issue more waivers if he deems it necessary to meet the objectives outlined in the legislation. (laughs) Number one question for me, can they do this? Number two, will they do it? And number three, is anybody ever going to pay the price for opening the border, breaking federal laws every day, suborning all others to do and conduct illegal acts? Is anybody ever going to be held responsible for the lawlessness that is rampant from the top of this nation to the bottom, from the east to the west, the lives that have been lost directly by some of these illegal immigrants personally, but many, many more died at the hands of fentanyl poisoning that comes across the southern border among these immigrants, illegal immigrants. Oh, and then what about child sex sex trafficking and human sex trafficking? There hadn't been any accountability. There is none. It's part of this construction project of building the oligarchy and rolling it out across the nation without telling anybody, hey, here's what we're doing. Republicans like Texas Governor Greg Abbott have blamed the Biden administration and its policies for this unprecedented illegal immigration, such as rolling back Trump-era measures and the ending border wall construction. You may remember in early 21, the Biden administration stopped the ongoing construction of a border wall after the president took office. He contended that Trump's focus on constructing the wall was misguided and an example of his purported inability to secure the border and manage immigration. Symbolism over substance. Nothing in this Democrat party, nothing in this administration that we hear is ever based on substantive ideology. It's all on political ideology of the left, and of course it changes every day and maybe every hour. Who knows? And then we told you early in the show what Mexican President Obrador has done. 
He's warning us. <laughs> He's warning while he is on the government dole in Mexico transporting 10,000 illegals from his southern border all the way up through Mexico to our southern border. And he wants us to put a legal process in place. Why didn't he just turn everybody away? They're coming into Mexico illegally at the southern border. What's the difference? They have laws there just like we have laws here. Oh, my gosh. It just gets worse and worse. I'm trying to figure out where to go because there are so many things that are important to you. And I'm trying to get in order of importance the things that you really need to hear. I'm going to blow your mind with this one. They're really embarrassed to even talk about this. And Hunter said, Hunter Biden said, he was really embarrassed to ask. But Hunter, we are finding out through some of those text messages that have been released uh, under subpoena, Hunter begged Joe for cash to pay his alimony and for other financial issues. According to these texts, Hunter repeatedly looked for assistance from his dad to help him during a period of financial difficulties. He asked his father in November, December of 2018 to send him money for his alimony payments and additional financial issues. And these come from texts between Hunter and Joe that were released by the House Ways and Means Committee. Can you provide Linda with the information requested? Hunter texted his Wells Fargo financial advisor, Ed Pruitt, November 1st of 2018. Linda appears to refer to Linda Shapiro, who's an accountant with the firm Global D's. Emails from Hunter Biden's laptop indicate. Hunter referred his bank advisor to a text saying, Hunter, Mel has not been successful in reaching your dad to get his verbal confirmation. I had to talk to your father on Monday and I communicated to Mel we would need to do a wire, but Mel is the one who has access to wire the amount of money you're looking for. So Hunter emailed Pruitt and Cindy Duncan, another Wells Fargo advisor, November 1st, informing them he expected to receive $100,000 from Joe's bank account. The November 1st text was related to his Owasco PC bank account. The document containing the text messages states, Owasco PC was the bank account listed by Hunter in his email to the Wells Fargo advisors. Hunter used Owasco PC to get payments from Ukrainian, Romanian, and Chinese business associates. That's according to bank records released by the House Oversight Committee. Emails on his laptop, his failed guilty plea, and IRS whistleblower testimony. Hi, this is Hunter Biden. If you would give me a call to assist in wiring money to my account from my father's, it would be much appreciated. That was a text to Linda likely Linda Shapiro. His contacts also on November 1st of 2018. Hunter asked dad for another short-term loan, December 4th that year. Joe apparently agreed to send him money. Hey dad, I've been trying to resolve some 
immediate financial issues, alimony tuitions, my bill for this program, but the cash I am counting on will not arrive until the end of the week. Is it possible to make me another short-term loan in the same amount, and I will send it back no later than 10 days? I'm really embarrassed to ask, and I know it's unfair of me to put you in that position right now. Yes, I've been trying to call you, Joe Biden replied. Just landed in Washington. Call me. It's not a problem, but call me. Hunter, tell me what you need. Sorry, Dad, I had my treatment in the afternoon. It made me sleep through the night. I need to cover girls' rents, tuitions, alimony, health care, their days-to-day costs, recurring bills, etc., which has all worked out to be around what you lent me last time. I'll get paid half that in five days and make it up the other half before Christmas, but it will leave me short. This treatment plan, which is cheap comparatively, but Hallie now refuses to help, even though she owes me a great deal more. Okay, how do you want to do this? I can pay tuition directly and their housing and give you the rest, Joe replied. Let me know when we can talk. Yes, that's fine. If you can please direct Mel to make wire today of the remaining for me to be able to transfer to Kathleen, including my treatment here. More than fine, Dad. Obviously, anything you can do is more than deserved and much appreciated. I love you, and I'm sorry, but I promise to pay it back, he said. I'm not concerned about payback, Joe said. 75 being wired today. Hey, sorry to bug you, Dad. No wire has gone through. This was the next day. It's unclear whether Joe ended up sending his son the wire payments. Now, the reason I wanted to read those to you, I wanted to put in context what I'm going to say right now. Hunter, he said, when he was asked on one of the TV shows that he was on before the Biden folks shut him down and stopped him from speaking in public, you remember Bobolinsky, Tony Bobolinsky? He revealed all of the comments and the text and emails that he was part of when they were talking about money that was coming from these various companies and people overseas. They talked about saving half of the big guy. Half of the big guy. The big guy we all know now was Joe Biden. Saving half of the big guy. Now, apparently... Hunter accessed the big guy's accounts. Now, you know where I'm going with this. Democrats have been screaming. There's no evidence that ties Joe Biden to receiving any of that money. None whatsoever. In fact, Joe even said, my son, I can promise, never got a dime from anybody in China. Of course, now we know that wasn't true. It's been proven through bank records. He got money directly, Hunter did, from China. A lot of other lies that were told, gross misrepresentation. So my question is, Hunter reaching out to his dad. First, he didn't reach out to his dad. He reached out to a banker. And he basically said, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just giving you the context of what you just heard exactly as it was stated, he reached out to Joe's banker and asked or said, I need you to send me so much money just like 
you did before. So, did that come from the 50 that was put back for the big guy? I don't have the answer. When I saw this, it immediately made me begin to think, hey, there may be more to this than I thought. And Democrats, they're in lockstep. They are all, everyone in unity, standing side by side with the president and with Hunter on all of this. Nobody, nobody on the left, not a single person has stepped forward and said, you know what? We might ought to look into this ourselves because it sounds every day with more and more evidence coming out, there may be more than we thought to this. And meanwhile, here's the orange man. He's in a heap of trouble and nobody sees any way for him to get out, right? That would be wrong. (laughs) And I've got more about that in just a moment. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion, smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar too. You sample them all because the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Northern Tool and Equipment. My girlfriend has given me a pet name. I'm afraid to ask. Snuggle Muffin. No, it isn't. And she uses it in public. Okay, so give your girlfriend a pet name she'll hate, like uh, Thunder Chunky. I couldn't do that. I see. Too harsh for Snuggle Muffin. Okay. Drown her out with a 200-mile-per-hour cordless sleep blower. Got it. Here she comes. Hey, Snuggle Muffin. <laughs> what are you doing, Snuggle out of here. Wait, come back, Thunder Chunky. There's no problem a little horsepower can't solve. Northern Tool and Equipment. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt. Which is stupid, because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. In a world of fake news, the truth will out. Truthnewsnet.org. Dan Newman. Just listening to that break, seems kind of odd that in the United States we're getting a... uh, Not an ad, it's not a paid ad, but we're getting a encouragement to use our seatbelts in the U.S. And we're getting it from the government of South Australia. I guess they're worried about our health up here. <laughs> they should be. 
Somebody should be anyway. Hey, listen, back to what's happening to former President Trump. I could sit here all day and talk you through. I know many of you, you're on the ceiling. You are so hacked off and you are so afraid of what's happening and possibly that Donald Trump will get, in one of these cases, get sent to jail. I'll tell you something. I've watched all of this very closely, and I'm digging in on everything. I'm getting inside and learning things. Trump's not going to get in any trouble at all. In fact, I expect at some point when this formal, I mean really formal campaign begins, where everybody is out on the road every day and we have these debates going on, something's going to be filed in federal court that will be fast-tracked to the U.S. Supreme Court. And what's going to happen when it gets there? It'll probably be five to four. What's going to happen is they're going to shut down all this stuff because it is election interference. And a very easy claim can be proven just by looking at the facts. They've had all this stuff for years, at least two to three years, and they never did any of the actions that they're doing now. They've never tried to get Trump in court in any way until they did right now. And there's only one reason why it can be right now, and that's to stop him from being able to campaign for the president, for the presidency. And don't you know, it is just frosting the left when they see any kind of new negative piece of anything connected to any of this litigation, and it's negative to their cause, and they see Trump's approval ratings stay the same or even go up, they're going crazy that it's happening. But you know what? I've heard it from numerous people myself. I've seen it in television interviews, just listening to people around, even people of color, African-American and Hispanic. They identify with what Trump is going through in the way of criminal litigation. Because you and I both know no matter if we want to talk about it, admit it, make it a big deal or not, if you're a person of color, you're looked at differently in most cases by law enforcement. And why is that? Percentage-wise, a lot of criminality is done in a greater percentage of that section of our society than is done by Caucasian or white people. Now, more crimes, more shooting is done by white people than black or Hispanic, but that's because the numbers of white people are much greater if you look at the percentages. And this is not lost on the people in these communities. They've been through this for generations, and it is factual. But now, now it looks like many people People of color are looking at Trump and they're identifying with what he's going through that in almost every case, in fact, in every case, almost from top to bottom in every one of these cases, he's being charged wrongly. 
Not that he's perfect, but they're using this as a weapon to keep him from office. And they're not even trying to hide it. The courts are going to get it. And it's going to change things. I want you to listen to Mr. Trump. And afterwards, I'm going to tell you about one famous African-American woman that is explaining why the African-American community, their support for Trump is still growing. On the third day of his civil fraud trial, former President Trump is once again criticizing prosecutors. This comes as his former accountant returns to the stand. Nate Foy has more. Former President Donald Trump returned to court for the third day of his civil fraud trial. Despite a partial gag order imposed by the judge preventing Trump or the attorney general's office of commenting on members of the judge's staff, the former president is free to criticize prosecutors, something he is doing daily. I'm leading Joe Biden by a lot. Without that, none of these cases would be going on. He's also accusing prosecutors of, quote, coordinating with Washington. This case was brought simply because it was a case where individuals have engaged in a pattern and practice of fraud. And I will not sit idly by and allow anyone to subvert the law. Trump's former accountant, Donald Bender, returned to the stand Wednesday for cross-examination. He faced additional questions about financial statements he prepared for the former president. Bender testified that at times he advised the Trump organization that he disagreed with their methods of valuing assets. My financial documents are valued much less than my actual value, which nobody even knows. The former president is also upset this is a bench trial. Legal documents show New York Attorney General Letitia James checked the box that reads, quote, trial without jury. Her office tells Fox News the decision is, quote, not something you confer on beforehand. Using statute network stations in New York. I'm sure you can understand that. It still is slanted in a negative fashion. This whole New York civil case, besides the fact Letitia James, she campaigned on it. She was actually running for governor. She was the original federal prosecutor of in the Southern District of New York. And uh, she went after Trump from that perspective, then she used that to get political support. She ran for um, governor of the state, didn't make it. So she took that and decided to run for attorney general. She's the attorney general. She's campaigned every time she's campaigned. I'm going to get Trump. I'm going to get Trump. And so the never Trumper people have written the big checks. Everything about the structure of the civil trial is upside down. It does not meet normal conventional trials in this area. The fact that she 
checked the box when this was set for trial, that it would not be a jury trial. Heck, the defendant's attorneys are supposed to weigh in on that as well, and they weren't allowed to. And this judge, oh my gosh. You know this judge, before they even started the trial, he made a ruling on the evidence that she had presented, not that was presented in the court, she had given to the court before the trial began. He already ruled that Trump had committed fraud without hearing or seeing any of the defense evidence that was out there. If anything comes from this trial, anything whatsoever that's negative to Trump, It will not stand up to appeal. I promise you. Now, I talked about people of color weighing in in their support now for Donald Trump. One is Rapper Sexy Red. Rapper Sexy Red. I've heard of her. I've not heard her music, I don't think. But she's claimed that black people, especially those who live in the hood, her words, love former President Trump. She was on a podcast yesterday. Theo Vaughn, the pound town, is a singer, predicted that more people in the black community would support Donald Trump in 2024. I like Trump. Yeah, they support him in the hood because at first I don't think people was F-word with him. Like they thought he was racist, saying little shit, and you know, against women. But once he started getting black people out of jail and giving people money, oh, baby, we love Trump. We need him back in office. Yeah, a little bit of free money goes a long way, Theo Vaughn agreed. We need him back because, baby, them checks, yes, that stimulus check, Trump, we miss you. The rapper called Trump bold and funny. I love Trump, though. He's funny to me. Like I used to watch his interviews. Well, not interviews like him talking to people. He used to be calling people fat. He's just bold. He's funny. Like we need people, more people like him. Even the Washington Post recently weighed in on this. They reported that black and Hispanic voters have been increasing their support of Trump leading up to this 2024 election. Multiple polls in recent weeks have shown Trump performing historically well among black and Hispanic voters in head-to-head matchups with Biden, helping put him neck and neck with Biden in a way he rarely was during their 2020 matchup. Across five high-quality polls, this is coming from the Washington Post, so they're not going to give Donald Trump any kind of credit for anything. You know that. If anything, they're going to go the other way. But in this story, they said across five high-quality polls that have broken out non-white voters in the past month, Trump is averaging 20% of black voters, 42% of Hispanic voters. Both numbers, and especially that for black voters, could set modern-day records for a Republican in a presidential election. Trump in 2020 took just 8% of black voters, 36% of Hispanic voters. According to the Pew Research Center's Validated Voters Survey, exit polls pegged those numbers at 12% of black voters and 30% of Hispanic voters. Former 
President Donald Trump's name used to be frequently used in rap songs prior to his ascent as president. So, you know, he was a TV star, and they knew him. I mean, they knew him. They knew the name. They know everything going on with Donald Trump. They have for a long time. He's in New York, grew up in New York, did all his business or most of his business emanating out of New York if it wasn't in New York proper. And there is no doubt, Democrats, everybody on the left, and many of those rhino Republicans, Republican in name only, they cannot understand how everyday people can support Donald Trump. I've told this story before. One of my closest friends in the world had me write, not write, but had me deliver a letter, try to get it to the president, Donald Trump, after he was elected. I did get it to Ivanka, got it through email, and I have a, um, a, a software program that when I send an email, I know when it's received and I know if and when it's opened, and if it's forwarded, I get the forwarding information, at least the IP address that it goes to. Anyway, she opened the letter, and basically the letter said this, Mr. President, I support you wholeheartedly. I campaigned for you, gave a contribution to your campaign, support you wholeheartedly, and pray for you every day. I want you to be successful. But, would you consider softening the rhetoric, attacking people that you disagree with? Many people that are Christians, that consider themselves to be Christians, their church members, are offended by the rhetoric. Would you please consider toning it down? At any stroke, I am for you 100% and want you to continue to succeed have no idea if the president got the letter. But later I told my friend this. I said, I know how you feel. I'm a Christian. I'm offended. I don't like his messaging whatsoever. I wish he would do it differently. But I said, I came to this realization not long ago. In the United States, he's the president of everybody in the United States, Democrats, Republicans, moderates, it doesn't matter. People of every race, creed, and color, every ethnicity, every religious background, he's their president. When you put all those people in a pile and you start looking and breaking out the segments of the type of people there, the way he talks is the way he grew up living in Queens, New York, working and building a business empire, located in principally Queens, New York, and the way the communication is done in that part of the United States, and it carries over in the construction industry. That resonates with more Americans than does your concern and mine about the way he messages. They identify with being coarse. They identify with conversation that can be kind of nasty, laced with profanity, and they're not offended by it. It's just a normal day at the office for many of those people. And when I told him that, he, of course, just like 
me before I figured it out, agreed. You know what? That's probably right. It still doesn't make me comfortable. And I, I, I still wish that he would tone it down a bit. I guess you heard Carrie Lake out in Arizona. She has filed formally now to run for the Senate, a Senate seat in 2024. That's a really big deal. The conservative firebrand filed paperwork with the FEC Tuesday. In 22, she narrowly lost her bid to govern the state to then Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. She has since claimed that she was the legitimate victor of that contest and filed a litany of election challenges that have fallen away. So she is running for the U.S. Senate in Arizona. That's a wrap on the show today, folks. Thank you so much for being here every day, and especially during this time. We get our arms around pretty much everything we can that we deem important to you because it's important to us. Anything else we need to talk about, drop me a line. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. We're going to be back in the morning at 9 o'clock, 9 to 11 a.m. Central Time. I hope you're with us then. Have a great day. Don't forget it.